Well, again, good morning. Uh, most of you know I'm Kyle, uh, but for those of you who don't, I'm Kyle. Um, introduced myself twice. Uh, so the text we're going to look at today is Second Thessalonians 1, verses 11 and 12. I believe that's on page 989, I think, uh, in the Bibles on the chairs, if you want to turn there. Uh, the, the passage that we're going to look at is a prayer. Uh, as in the case with most of Paul's letters, uh, he begins Second Thessalonians with a greeting and then a word of encouragement to the church. In this letter, he follows the word of encouragement with our passage, uh, it, and it's his prayer to the Thessalonians. So let's look at that prayer now. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Why don't you bow your heads with me and pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us, that you teach us about who you are, who we are, uh, what our relationship with you is, how you hope for us to live. God, you have given us so much in your word. And Father, I thank you for the privilege to preach from your word today. Um, Lord, as we look at this passage in Second Thessalonians, I pray that we would really just uh, be softened to your word, that we would be convicted by your spirit, and that we would learn from you. And God, I pray that for us, I pray that for the kids upstairs as they uh, learn from your word as well. God, soften their hearts as well. Uh, Lord, lead them to yourself. God, lead us, even draw us closer to yourself as we learn from this passage, from this prayer today. God, thank you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd actually like to start by seeing a show of hands. Um, I'm kind of curious about something. How many of you have been thinking about making a New Year's resolution or have talked with people about New Year's resolutions or you've read articles about New Year's resolutions? I'm kind of curious. Okay. I, I've always I've always been kind of anti-New Year's resolution, actually, and so I always tend to ignore it, and so I thought that was the case for most people, but I actually find that it's really common. I, I was kind of surprised when I was online the other night because I was looking up some stuff about New Year's resolutions, and there was tons of news articles uh, about like tips for achieving new, your New Year's resolution, uh, tips about how to eat better, how to exercise. I, I saw an article that was about how how to get more organized. And I, I noticed one thing that all of them, all of the articles I looked at, had one underlying motive, or they assumed something about everyone's resolution. And that was they were all centered on self-betterment. They all were about improving your own life. And I have to say that didn't surprise me. 
I didn't go online expecting to see articles about people making New Year's resolutions about like be resolved to sacrifice yourself for others. Uh, make sure to put others before you. I didn't expect to see articles like that, and I didn't see any. And the reason for that is because the reality is our, that's not natural human practice. Our natural incl inclination is to love ourselves and to put ourselves first. Our fallen condition is that we strive to glorify ourselves rather than God. And that is the condition that Paul is addressing in his prayer in these two verses. He's praying against that. We know that because the foundational thought behind Paul's prayer is that our only worthwhile resolutions are those that glorify Christ. So let me say that again. The main idea Paul conveys in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 11 and 12, is that our only worthwhile resolutions are those that glorify Christ. If we're striving after things that aren't to that end, then they're not worthwhile for us to pursue. As we'll see, Paul is praying that God would Paul is praying that God would bless the efforts of the Thessalonian church when they seek to glorify Christ. And he's specific about it. Paul prays that God would bless them, but only if they glorify Christ. The only worthwhile resolution is that which glorifies Christ, as I've said. And a resolution that glorifies Christ meets three conditions that we can discern from this prayer. We'll look at those conditions for the rest of the sermon, and it's my hope that by the end, you'll have kind of a useful guide to use to test your own goals and efforts in life. I want you to be able to leave here thinking about the things that you're working towards in, in your marriage, at work, uh, things that you're working towards just in your own private, personal life, and I want you to be able to determine if those things are worthwhile pursuits uh, or if you would need to just let them go. I want you to be able to test your resolve and determine, you know what, Lord, this is something that is meant to glorify you. I want to give this my all. Or if that's not the case, I want you to be able to say, Lord, I see that this isn't about you. This is about me glorifying myself. I need to let this go and pursue something else. So with that said, let me state the three conditions, and then we'll look at the first one. So to have a worthwhile, Christ-glorifying resolution, you should, one, be resolved as one counted worthy by God, two, be resolved for good in faith, and three, be resolved to glorify Christ. So uh, we'll, we'll see later on that you can kind of think of those three conditions as addressing your head, hands, and heart. I, I thought that was kind of helpful to think about uh, in, in testing your endeavors or your pursuits in life. So before discussing that further, though, let's look at the first condition. We should be resolved as ones counted worthy by God. So let me read verse 11 again. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by his power. So Paul begins his prayer by saying, to this end. What is the end that he's referring to? We, figure, we can figure that out by looking at kind of the larger context of the passage that our two verses come from. So to start his letter, Paul thanks the Th God for the Thessalonians and their endurance amid persecution. He then thanks God for his justice because a judgment day will come 
when the persecutors will face affliction at the hands of God, while the persecuted saints will be with Christ and will marvel at his glory. As verse 10 states, the main idea of the whole Thanksgiving passage just before the prayer is that Christ is worthy of all glory. His power and spirit are present in his saints who are enduring suffering. His vindicating justice will reveal itself on judgment day. And it is shown that the ultimate privilege is to be in the presence of Jesus in all his glory. All of these things point to the fact that Christ should be glorified. That is the greatest endeavor in, in all reality. Paul is thanking God that Christ is currently being and forever will be glorified. That is the end which Paul is praying, praying towards, Christ's glory. Paul led us to his, pray, to his prayer, esteeming God's glory above all things. And then we'll see in verse 12 that he finishes by esteeming the same thing through the prayer. So Paul is letting the Thessalonians know that what is that what request he is making of God on their behalf is ultimately meant to magnify the glory of Christ. So you already see that Paul set the stage for what is worthwhile for us to devote our attention to, that is Christ's glory. So what does he say in the prayer again? To this end, we always pray for you. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, who starts the letter saying that they're the ones uh, that Paul is with, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are always praying for these things. Their hearts are fixated on Christ's glory and how it can be magnified in his people. It preoccupies them. They, they see how glorious Christ is, and they recognize that nothing else deserves their attention as much as him. They're not men who escape into fleshly fantasies, into pleasures that they don't take a break from God and heavenly things to delight in relaxing and thinking about meaning, meaningless things or devoting their thoughts to, to lust or, or anything like that. These are men that are centered on God and his word, and they don't put it aside for anything. And they're men that are awestruck by Christ's magnificence to serve, and they won't serve any master but him. And they're resolved for his exaltation. These are men worthy of our imitation. But how can they have such steadfast resolve? When I think about this, when I, I see such devotion to God's glory, I see that, like, I don't even come close to that. I don't know anyone else that does either. I'm, I'm far less concerned with Christ's glory than I should be. I recognize that. And I confess that I could spend, I could easily spend hours on pointless websites like YouTube or like BuzzFeed or any of those pointless websites with videos and stuff on them. I could just spend tons of time on those without giving Christ a single thought. I don't, me I don't measure up to their example. And so the question that I'm left wondering is where does the strength of their resolve come from? If the only worthwhile resolution is one that glorifies Christ, how do we get there? Paul himself answers that question in verse 11, as we'll see. Read this again with me. To this end, we always pray for you that our God would make you worthy of his calling. Okay, so how does that answer the question? 
Uh, we're actually going to look at a verse from his first letter to the Thessalonians to understand that better. So if you want to open it up to 1 Thessalonians 2.12, I'm going to read that now. It says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So first, the first thing that we should see here is that God's calling is the call of salvation. His calling is the grace he has shown to those who he draws to himself through his spirit and who respond in repentance and faith to the gospel. God calls them and they receive all of the spiritual gifts that come through Christ, which include being present in the kingdom and receiving his glory as the verse states, as First Thessalonians 2.12 states. But what does it mean to make us worthy of that calling if god's calling is the grace that he shows us what does it mean to to be made worthy of that here's where it's actually helpful to not pay too much attention to what the esv translation says uh for second thessalonians 111 our the verse that we're studying it doesn't really get the wording quite right uh the, all the commentaries that I've read, they, they say that a better translation for it is that our God may count you worthy of his calling. I make the distinction, distinction because it's an, for an important reason. Do not read the text, the text thinking that Paul is praying that God would make the Thessalonians deserving of his grace or calling. To read the verse that way would lead one to think that Paul is su- supporting some sort of perfectionism. Uh, that we can become perfect in this life, that God can, God can and will make this radical transformation in which we sin no more. But that's far from the truth. That goes against many passages in Scripture. In Romans 7, Paul himself talks about the fact that he is imperfect and he has to battle against his sinful nature every single day. So no, God will not make you deserving of his salvation in this life. Paul is praying that God would count the Thessalonians worthy of his calling. He's praying that God would consider them worthy in Christ. Now, the incredible beauty of that request is that God has already answered it. Look at verse 5 in in 2 Thessalonians 1. God has already assured the Thessalonians that they have been counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Paul has already told them that. So why would he be praying it? to them he's not being redundant he's not just doing it unnecessarily he's doing it to remind them of that fact that is already true of them so that they can be strengthened by that truth i asked a little while ago about the source of paul's strength and resolve where we can find the strength to be resolved to bring christ's glory and i said that second thessalonians 111 answer the question well the answer is that Strength comes from remembering that he has counted us worthy in Christ. He does, not ha- we do- he does not have to achieve anything for himself. Paul doesn't. We don't. Paul doesn't have to make himself worthy or even expect God to make him worthy and deserving of blessing. That's the same as true, that's true of the Thessalonians. That's true of us. We already have that in Christ as believers. Paul's strength and ours should come from that freedom. 
So in Paul's prayer, he's teaching us that our resolutions, our goals in life, they should be fueled and affected by the fact that we know that we are counted worthy in Christ. This is the first condition our, our resolves must meet. We should be resolved as ones countered worthy by God. And I said that you can view this as the head condition because we should be resolved as ones who know and remember these things because it's, it's the worthiness that has been given to us and our knowledge of it that will allow us to glorify Christ. So that means that when I'm making my New Year's resolution or when I make any other resolution in life, it can be a bold one. I can boldly be resolved to cast off my fears when, the go- when I'm sharing the gospel with my coworkers and classmates and I'm nervous about it. I can boldly be resolved to put to death struggles in my life that seem insurmountable because I know that I'm counted worthy in Christ. I know I'm a new creation in him. God has called me to be his child, not because I deserve it, but because he has chosen to love me and because he promises to prepare me for whatever he wants of me in this life. If your goals in life are more motivated by your efforts to earn God's worthiness, God's affection, or others' worthiness from others, or others' affection, then you need to believe that you are counted worthy in in Christ if he is your savior. Remember that and be resolved as one who is already counted worthy by God, not as one trying to become worthy. We are counted worthy and we have received all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. If we are resolved with that in mind, we meet the first condition of a worthwhile resolution. So when you're striving after things in life, be mindful of that. So now let's look um, at the passage again and we'll see what the next condition of a worthwhile Christ-exalting resolution is. That is, to be resolved to glorify Christ we must be resolved for good in faith. So listen as I reread verse 11 and focus on the second half of the verse this time. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So Paul prayed that God would fulfill every good resolve and work of faith in his power. The first question that comes to mind when I read that is, whose resolves are good? Are they God's or the Thessalonians? The passage doesn't really make it clear. It doesn't say it explicitly. But we'll see that the implied answer is revealed if we take into consideration the structure of the sentence. Paul is asking God for two things. Um, Both of those are preceded by may or would. So we have that... God would count them worthy of his calling and that um, that God would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. And then so we have making worthy of his calling, fulfilling these tasks. In that category, we have that God would fulfill the resolves of good and that God would uh, resolve the works of or fulfill the works of faith. So we see here that there's a parallel that's drawn between the works of faith and the resolves of good. Most commentators that I've read uh, treat this as Paul using the two phrases, the two different phrases to say the same thing. Um, they're synonymous, basically. So thus, the resolves 
that are attributed the, 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 the sorry the resolves are attributed to the Thessalonians because we know the, what the works of faith are. God doesn't act in faith. God acts in what is true. God acts. Humans act on faith. So we know that the acts of the works of faith are attributed to the, to the Thessalonians. I've been saying that word too much today. And the, therefore, the resolves of good are also attributed to the Thessalonians. It's also helpful to keep in mind that the Greek word that Paul uses for resolves, he uses that on a number of other occasions. And in each of those occasions, he's talking about human desires, human resolves, and not God's. So that also is evidence that points to the fact that the resolves for good are those of the people of the Thessalonian church. Um, also, in 1 Thessalonians 1.3, it talks about works works of faith and labor of love. Paul is commending the church for them. And he is clearly attributing those things to the, the, the people because he's commending them for them, for those deeds, for those acts. And so the similar terminology, the similar use of words, all of, all of this evidence points to the fact that Paul is praying that God would fulfill the people's, the church's resolves of good and their works of faith. So Paul wants God to bless them if their desires are to display good and God-honoring behaviors and actions. This is Paul showing us the hand, when I'm saying the hand condition of a worthwhile resolution. Uh, we should be resolved to do good and pursue holiness by faith. So the first one was head because it was it's attributed to knowledge. This is hands because it's about what they're doing. It's about what they're striving to actually accomplish. So let me ask you this. Have you ever been resolved to outdo someone? Have you ever been resolved to be better than someone else? Uh, I mean, countless numbers I can say for myself. Uh, one particular instance that I thought of is that in high school, uh, I was – deeply determined to get better grades than one of my, he was actually one of my really good friends in high school. I was like, I strove so hard to get better grades than this one guy because I wanted to pass him up in class rank. Um, I was one of those nerdy kids that was super, super all about what my class rank was. And he was close. I was I was able to almost pass him up, and so I, I was just striving so hard to do it, and I did. But that's not necessarily a good thing. My reason for trying to outdo him was horrible. I was completely centered on self-exaltation. I wanted to be better than him. I wanted to get praise for myself. I wanted the commendation. That was not a resolve for good that Paul would have wanted God to fulfill in me. That was pride. That was sin. The same can be said if I'm trying to work out to look better than someone else or if I'm trying to be a better employee than someone else. Um, if I, I'm going to be working with Caleb now, if I, if I show up and I'm just trying to be this perfect person so that I can outdo him, that, that's not a good resolve. That's not a resolve that's meant to glorify Christ. That's meant to glorify myself. None of these examples are things that display humility. None of them are things that require faith. 
They're all examples of me trying to glorify myself. We must kill such desires in our hearts. I'm not saying we shouldn't strive after being good at what we do. God calls us to that. He calls us to be good stewards of our work. But we've got to remember why we are to do that. Colossians says that we're to do that knowing we will receive the inheritance of the Lord as our reward. We need to seek after good grades, good job performance, seek bettering our our position in life, not to better ourselves, but to to be good stewards and to serve Christ at school and in the workplace and in our homes and everywhere in our lives. We're his ambassadors, and so we want to present ourselves as such. That's why we strive after being good, not to simply esteem ourselves well. A good resolve is one that aims to please Christ and display his love, compassion, and all of his other attributes as well. Someone who has a good resolve is seeking to be like Christ, not to be better than him. That is glorifying to him. So the question I'm left with is, how do I know that my resolution is truly aimed at at glorifying Christ? How how can I know that my resolves are good? If, If I am trying to do well at work, how do I know that that's for a God-honoring purpose because many selfish pursuits can look well-intended, can look like they're meant for Christ. Well, a good question that you can ask yourself to answer that question is, how would I feel if I didn't meet my goal? When I'm not meeting a certain resolution, when a resolution or some, a goal that I'm trying to accomplish is failing, um, how do I feel about that? How you respond to losing what you're working for tends to prove or is a good indicator on how good and faithful of a desire it was. If you feel desperate and hopeless because you aren't getting the grades you wanted or because your marriage is struggling or because you're not making the amount of money that you wanted, that shows that you're you're not resolved for good in faith. You're working in your own strength, and you're not resting in the worthiness that you know is already yours in Christ as a believer. If you knew that you were counted worthy no matter how you did, then you would still have a reason for hope. You would still have a reason to rejoice, even if your goals are failing, even if things around you are just falling apart. If you're trying to exalt yourself apart from Christ, then you have no reason for hope and failure. Friends, let's rely on our faith and the knowledge we have in the first condition, that is that we are counted worthy by God for his calling. Let's have faith in that and act for good in that freedom. What is the last phrase in verse 11? It says, Paul prays that God would do all things in his power. Paul is praying that God would fulfill the people's goals and resolutions, not that the Thessalonians would fulfill them themselves. If we're resolved to do good in the name of Christ, then we should trust that God will aid us in our resolve. And we should also trust on the flip side that if we're not seeking Christ's glory, if we're seeking our own, then we have reason to believe and trust that God is going to hinder 
our efforts, if anything. Your response to your failure will tell you if you're faithfully aimed at good for the sake of Christ or if you're aimed at self-exaltation. Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians was that they would be resolved for good done in faith so that God would fulfill, fulfill those things in his power and bring glory to Christ. So that was the second condition for a worthwhile resolution. Now we turn to the third one, namely that we should be resolved to glorify Christ. Let's look at the text again, but this time we'll look at verse 12. Paul prays all these things, but why? So that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the purpose and foundation of Paul's prayer, the reason that he's praying it. The third condition is the heart condition of the three. The first addressed the head and what we should know as we're resolved to do something. The second addressed the hands and what our resolve entails us actually doing. And this one addresses our underlying heart motive behind our resolution. So Paul expects us to resolve to pursue holiness and then seek to live it out by faith, all for the purpose of glorifying Christ. And the power of God can strengthen us to fulfill those resolves when we rest in the confidence we have in knowing that we are counted worthy by God for his calling. To put it another way, when we are seeking to glorify Christ, we are pursuing godly endeavors while resting in our faith in the gospel. That is why Paul prayed this prayer. He wanted God to affirm these things in the lives of the Thessalonians. And that is why we must make every effort to be resolved to glorify Christ too. Remember Paul's statement from 1 Thessalonians 2.12? He exhorted the church to walk in a manner worthy of God's call. That means they're supposed to do something. It's in God's power, but they're supposed to put forth an effort. We're to make an effort to glorify Christ. But the reality is we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that it's going to be easy. It will be hard and require self-discipline as well as the support of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, why God, that's part of the reason why God calls us to be part of a church. And it is, it's going to be difficult. It's, I mean, it's been difficult, and I, haven't even, I feel like I haven't even been walking with the Lord for that long. But it's still been really hard already. But you know what? It is infinitely worth it to strive after Christ's glory. It could mean the difference between an eternity with him versus an eternity apart from him. Who are you to claim that you have been counted worthy of God's calling if your life displays no evidence of it? We are saved by faith alone, but we have to remember that our faith never actually is alone. Scripture assures us that good works always will ultimately accompany our, our faith. So if you have no desires or behaviors that show that you're seeking to glorify Christ, then why should you think that your faith is genuine? Our lives should display a trajectory of sanctification, a pattern of becoming more and more like Christ, and becoming more and more concerned about magnifying his glory. This doesn't mean believers can't experience seasons of backsliding or just be really burdened and seemingly overwhelmed by sin Every once in a while, that is an experience that many believers have. 
But ultimately, the Spirit will convict the believer's heart and lead them back to repentance. Scripture assures us of that truth. So let's strive after, let's strive after this duty that God has given us to glorify Christ, knowing that if our faith is genuine, he will see, he will, he will fulfill these things. So at, at this point, I would imagine that we possibly have two groups of people here right now, two schools of thought. One of those groups are the people who recognize that Christ deserves all of our glory, all, all of the glory of creation. These are the people that think, that are thinking that the gospel leads to a deep desire to be resolved in, the daily, in our daily lives to glorify Christ in whatever way is possible. These people want to do this. They want to improve their lives. They want to meet Paul's conditions of having a worthwhile resolution for the Lord. They are with Paul in his prayer for the Thessalonians. They would like the same to be true for this church. If you fall into this category, I thank God that he is answering that very prayer in you right now. The second group of people is made up of those who could be listening to this message and are only hearing me make command after command. They only hear me demanding things. They think I'm asking too much of them. They might be wondering why they should only be resolved for the glory of Christ. I imagine some thoughts could be running through heads of, why can't I glorify myself once in a while, or maybe even all the time? Why must I always show love and goodwill towards other people? Things like anger and laziness and even hunger for sex are normal parts of being human they're not all that bad why do i need to live in this world that's already tough enough as it is and battle against my flesh trying to battle my natural desires is it just seems like too much a good god wouldn't call me to to suffering or to this this misery of this battle Um, for those of you that are in the second group that are thinking that i have one last passage for us to look at So would you mind turning to Revelation 5 for me? We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Okay. Revelation 5 says this. Then... I saw in the right hand of of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures 
And the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. This is, this is honestly one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It might, it might actually be my favorite. Uh, I love reading it. I love meditating on it. Friends, this is why we struggle. This is even against ourselves to be resolved for Christ's glory. Because where we are only counted as worthy, he is the only one who is truly deservedly worthy of all our glory. That is what the gospel teaches us. Christ came to this earth. He became a man. He lived a perfectly sinless life so that when he went to the cross, he was free of his own condemnation so that he could take ours upon himself. We are counted worthy because he took our unworthiness, our sin, on the cross and died. And then he rose three days later to prove that and to prove that death has no power over him. He brought, he came to this life and he bought his own people with his own blood so that we could reign with him for eternity. Look back at 2 Thessalonians 1.12. Paul prays so that Jesus will be glorified in us and us in him by the grace of God. Friends, we will be glorified in Christ. You want to seek your own glory? Why? The best glory to be found is that of Christ. The best glory to be found is that of Christ, which we will get to inherit when he returns. Why would we want to seek glory on earth, a glory that's not going to last, when we could obtain Christ's glory for eternity? No honor or praise that you could ever have or receive on this earth will compare to his glory and honor. I want to behold his glory. I want to be included in that praise through my union with him. And I want to delight in him because I know that he is far richer and sweeter than we could ever imagine far greater than anything on this earth could ever provide. Our sin now prevents us from seeing him as he truly and gloriously is. We are easily deceived by, by the lies of this world and by our own flesh, by our own sinful desires. When you're believing those lies, trust the word over yourself. Each of us should know better than anyone else about our own lives that we are not altogether trustworthy, that we don't know everything, and that we don't understand even everything that we know. The day will come when our eyes will be opened fully, and we will know that there is no greater joy or pleasure than being near to Christ and to be reflecting his majesty. God promises that. The issue is whether we will partake of that joy or instead suffer God's wrath because we've refused to listen to him in his word. 
Now, some of you might be uncomfortable thinking about our glorification in Christ. I know that even when I first read this passage, I was kind of nervous about, okay, how am I going to handle that? Because I wasn't even sure. Why would Scripture say something like that, especially when so many other passages call us to die to ourselves, to put to death our pride, to humble ourselves? Us receiving glory sounds like a very man-centered thing, not a Christ-centered thing. You see, though, that it's not man-centered to claim that we're glorified as long as we are in union with Christ. And that's the reality that this this text is speaking on. Our glorification is due to our relationship with the one who is truly glorious, not because we ourselves are glorious inherently. If If that relationship were to end, then our glorification would end as well. But praise God that that's not going to happen. That is, in fact, a very Christ-centered reality because it stresses our dependence on him. As verse 12 from 2 Thessalonians 1 states, we depend on the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ to be glorified. So let's rejoice in the grace God offers us and be resolved to glorify his son. Is that not the only resolution worth having? As we have been looking at Paul's prayer in 2 Thessalonians 1, we see that we have the duty as Christians to be resolute people. So friends, let's make plans. Let's make goals in life. Let's plan for the future, but let's not do it haphazardly. Let's not just make decisions for ourselves, not considering who we're seeking to glorify in them. Test your resolutions and make sure that you are resolved as one counted worthy by God, resolved for good in faith, and resolved to glorify Christ. Resolutions that meet those three conditions are the only worthwhile pursuits that we should have in light of the gospel. Let's stop asking ourselves why we can't glorify ourselves and begin asking why we would want to. Why don't you bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word again. God, we thank you for this scripture. God, we thank you for Paul's prayer that it teaches us about what is worthwhile for us to strive after in life. God, I don't want to be a man that seeks after things that mean nothing after this life. I don't want to seek after things that will disappear in my death, that will disappear when your creation is renewed. God, I want to pursue things that that are enduring for eternity. God, I want to seek after the glory of your Son. He is worthy of all glory for what he did on the cross. God, I pray that we would all see that and that we would seek to to align our resolves with that mindset. God, we thank you again for your word, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.